For those of you that don't know me, I'm Phil Bronzema. I'm not Greg Brady. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Greg and his family are taking the weekend off, a bit of a staycation. They're down on the island at a beach home with some extended family. And since I'm in ch- one of the elders in charge of worship, I invited myself to preach. And I said yes. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to take a, 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 a bit of a detour from Greg's series on looking at Jesus in Genesis and sort of a sidebar. We're going to look at me in Matthew. What does God say about me? Over the last several weeks, we look at attributes of Jesus as illustrated by Abraham and other people. And we're going to look at the, the Sermon on the Mount as an excellent example of how God wants us to behave. But before we get started, a question for you. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Everyone, please. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of the places that we're starting. I belong. Another, here's a footnote. This is called a catechism. It is not a catacomb. They mean different things. A catechism, I looked this up, is, is uh, an, or used in the form of question and answer, typically verbally. We have it written down, but it's used as, as an oral way to teach truths of the gospel. This catechism was written in the 1500s, and at that time, the literacy rate was probably about 10%. So if we were here in in around 1600, five of us would know how to read. That's it. In part because there's nothing to read, but also that was left for the elite ruling class. So these, these... Oral catechisms were a way to teach the truths of the gospel. Not that long ago, in in the church I grew up in, when when those of us took catechism classes, we would memorize the answers. That wasn't that long ago. In some traditions, that, that happened. So, another catechism written around 16, early 1600s, is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Starts with a different tone, equally valuable. So, what is the chief purpose for which we are made? The chief purpose for which we are made is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So these two catechisms say, who do I belong to and what do I do? So much for that sidebar. You can, note, you can search for these. They're great reading. I'm going to focus on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' first major time to speak to people. So here's the setting. He's about 30 years old. John the Baptist is at the Jordan River baptizing people, preaching the repentance of sins. 
John the Baptist doesn't mention Jesus. Jesus comes and gets baptized. After that, he goes back up north to Nazareth, presumably to his woodworking shop, um, a very noble tradition, and he stays there until John is put into prison. Then he began his teaching throughout Galilee, north of Jerusalem, not in the main city. So I'm going to start reading at Matthew Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. If you have a pew Bible from the seat in front of you, that starts on page 958. I forgot to put slides on with all this text, so you'll either have to listen or follow me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It's on page 958. So we're going to start the first couple verses before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which means ten cities, cities around the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Here's what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil, all kinds of lies against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they, per- in the same way they had persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so these are... This is Jesus' first major speaking event, and it's not what the people are used to hearing when they go to synagogue on Saturday morning. Jesus is different from the religious leaders of the time. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. He didn't have some fancy ceremony at the temple. He went to Galilee to teach, which is... Not even the suburbs. It's the boondocks compared to Jerusalem. He did not go where the ruling elite were. He healed the sick, the mentally ill. He didn't go and tell people what sacrifices they need to do, what rules they need to follow in order to be saved. And along the way, he accumulated hundreds of curious followers. 
very different from the latest and newest rabbi who is graduating from the seminary in Jerusalem. The Sermon on the Mount, a long message, several chapters, Jesus telling who are become, people who are becoming his people, what do you need to do? How do you need to think? And again, this is very, very different from the Jewish culture of the time where the, the, the culture then was to say, follow the rules and we're all going to be okay. Do your sacrifices. Bring your offerings. Don't think too much about it. I don't need you to think, but I need you to make, do your sacrifices. Come, come to the synagogue every, every Saturday morning, that sort of thing. And what we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus really changes that to be, I need you to understand who I am. I need you to think about your faith. I want you to be like me. Be meek. Be spiritual. Be merciful. That's what I need you to be. Jesus doesn't say anything about putting offerings in the box, bringing sacrifices, and is it a pigeon or a dove? Is a rabbit okay? That's not where Jesus is. Jesus is saying, do you love me? Do you follow me? A very different message. And part of this, then, is really a, a change for the people of Israel. If you think about the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, it was a national relationship with God. Not so much a personal one, but a national one. The whole group of Israelis as a whole, I think we're on the next slide. Yeah. Think about the Old Testament. Here's the sequence. Obey God, get complacent and sort of drift away, get punished. When it really hurts, everybody cries out to God, and God rescues them, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. But it's a whole nation together that does this cycle together. But think about the Beatitudes. Jesus isn't calling the, the, the nation of Israel to repentance. He's calling you and me to repentance. Jesus is saying that national connection, that's finishing. Now it's personal between you and me. The people of Israel at that time were looking for a na- a, the next national savior, the next David the next Moses who's going to throw off the persecution by the Romans and establish the nation of Israel. And Jesus is introducing the point here. says, no, that's not why I'm here. And as as you may recall in other places through the, the, the Gospels, he's very clear. He's not here to rescue the nation of Israel. He's here to rescue believers. So again, Jesus, with the Sermon on the Mount, is making a a significant distinction for what he's bringing versus what the traditional Jewish society was understanding. So on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that following the rules, just to follow the rules, doesn't count. 
your heart must be in the right place. And if you think about through the life of Jesus, one of the the main points that when he's talking to the religious leaders is he talks about the spiritual aspects of the relationship with God. A lot of the religious leaders are saying, it's not right that you heal somebody on the Sabbath because that's work. It's not right that your disciples... They're walking down the street. They're getting some berries or grains from the side of the road and eating them on Sunday, on Sabbath, because that's work. Okay, you know, Jesus really comes through here teaching uh, uh, the word of, is your heart in the right place? Are you repenting of your sins? Are you in a, the right relationship with God? And if you are, then your behaviors will reflect this. Blessed, and he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Jewish rituals don't talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's what Jesus is saying. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not emphasizing himself as Savior, But in a sense, it's sort of a prelude to that to say, here are the spiritual behaviors that we all need to have that's now going to be consistent, part of believing and having faith in God. Believing in Jesus for our salvation now fits with these couple of chapters to say, here's how God wants me to behave. So so at the end... uh, uh, in about 15 minutes, we're going to get to the point that says, yeah, I believe. Here's now what comes from that. Am I merciful? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I, have re- do I take revenge on people that have hurt me, or do I pray for them? There's a lot. There's, here, I'll paraphrase, 19 habits of successful Christians in these chapters. We're not going to read them all. But there's homework. So, I'm going to, a, a bit of a sidebar here. Jesus really comes down against the, the, the use of rules and traditions, primarily because the main meaning behind them has been lost. Doing rules, doing repetition is just fine when it's used to help us remember the underlying principle. We have communion here every first Sunday of the month. We've been having it the first Sunday of the month for decades. It's a ritual. If all you do is come in at 11.30 on the first Sunday of the month and get in line and get a and zip back out, that doesn't count. God wants us at the communion table to remember and believe. The bread and the cup are symbols. They don't do, bread and cup don't do anything for us. It's remembering and believing that makes communion important. I happen to think it's very important to come to worship on Sunday morning. Not because, well, when I was a kid, it was because mom made me, or rather, dad made me, <laughs> but now it's because this is a time to worship. We have the same order of worship every time. That's a ritual of sorts, but the point here is to help guide us into worship. 
The order of worship is not sacred, but it's there to help guide us. So again, rules are, have a very important role. Repetition has a very important role when they're used to help guide us in our relationship with God and to guide us in our behaviors. And obviously, there's all sorts of secular rules and rituals. Um, Parking between the white lines in the parking lot. Many people consider that to be a rule. And it has its place. When the parking lot's busy, that makes for more efficient. On Tuesday evening, there's only 10 cars in the parking lot. You don't really need to park between the lines, right? Understanding some people, there's differences, right? The whole point here is, if you have a ritual, make sure it has a purpose. If you pray with a meal or a prayer before you go to bed or when you wake up, don't just ramble off, you know, say a quick prayer and move on. Spend some time. Use a prayer time to enhance your discussion with God, not because, oh, 7.30, it's time for prayer time. Quick, let's have one, and then we're going to go shopping or something like that, right? Understand, the point that Jesus makes here is understand what's going on. Be thoughtful. Don't do things out of custom, solely out of custom or ritual, but think about what you're doing. And he lists some very specific things. And this is then going to be in the next chapter. In chapter 5, I'm going to read a couple of examples here. Again, that, think about this. If you were a, a traditional Jew, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He's developing that rule. In the Old Testament, if you killed somebody, or some, so if someone grieved you, hurt you, you had the right of recourse to go hurt that person back. Jesus says, not just murder is wrong. If you hate somebody, if you have a long-standing anger with somebody, no, don't go there. Jesus says, pray for that person. Don't Don't take revenge, pray for them. Now, I was thinking about that. I have some people, just as I was preparing for this last couple of days, there are some people at work. They're a little grumpy. I don't get along. We, we, we're fine. But we're not buds, right? And I'm thinking, I should be praying for that relationship. I shouldn't be separating work relationships with, from my Christian faith. I should be praying for these people. Some of them I've never met. It's only email or telephone or something like that. And I say, oh, it'd be really nice if this person would just do these things. No, I should pray. Don't get angry. Pray for them. I've got some, like, third-level bosses. Yikes. I, gotta be, I need to be praying for that person. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't be angry at people. Transition that, that situation to a time to say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for that person. So the attitudes are to be humble, not arrogant. And the actions that go with us, as we see here, don't take revenge, but pray for them. 
but also your, your normal religious actions. In this, in this time, um, it was very common for the religious leaders to stand on a street corner on the steps outside the temple and pray. And if they're going to fast, oh, they put on their old clothes and they, oh, I'm fasting for God. Right? They're, they're, they're using their spiritual actions to pat themselves on the back. And Jesus says, don't do that. If you're going to make a donation to the church, do it quietly. If you're going to pray, do it in private. Don't use it as a, as a time to brag, but a time to build your all these things, to build your relationships with God. Uh, and the part that follows that in is to say, focus on heaven. Your reward is in heaven. Having your, your fellow believers think more highly of you because you did such an elegant prayer or you wrote a check for $2,000, and you wave it up in the air as you come in and drop it in the offering plate, and everyone says, oh, Phil, how wonderful. That's not what God's looking for. God says it's spiritual. What we do needs to be spiritual. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about these things, because God has your back. Well, he didn't quite say it that way, but that's the point. What's important is our relationship with God and how we act out in behaviors that reflect God. And this really speaks against, really to a large degree, against social, the society of every era looks at greed and your own pride. And boy, you're going to be so much better off if you have this kind of watch and these kinds of slacks from Joseph A. Banks, and, and, right? And that's what the society advertisers tell us. God says, I don't care what kind of slacks you have. Is your heart in the right place? That's the main mess. One of the main messages of the Sermon on the Mount to the people of Israel and to us that says, all these rules, all these rituals, they're nice. What really counts are you meek. Do you, do you follow me? If you're praying and fasting, that's wonderful. Do it in private so it enhances your relationship with me. So where do we go from here? What do we learn from this? We're not going to, as I said before, this covers, there's like 19 segments here. They're all worth reading. I read just the Beatitudes, the first section. This, the sermons on, Sermon on the Mount really gets at attitudes, meekness, humility, being spiritually close to God. And he talks about some behaviors. How do we, what do we do with anger? And this fancy chart, this is spiritual growth versus time. God wants us over our lifetime to be more and more like him. There's ups and downs, ups and downs. Think about this. Through our whole life, God wants us to be more and more like him. As we grow in the faith, as we mature, as we become more thoughtful, the Beatitudes are worth reading because it's gonna, it will help us shape our minds and shape our actions so that 
we can be moving up that curve. And what I think is really cool is at the end of this the Sermon on the Mount, here's this from, from Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not like teachers of the law, which I think is really cool because it tells them what they're getting on Sunday morning in their synagogue. They're getting the teachers of the law saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Jesus teaches with authority. And so I want us to remember that, too. These words are with authority. It's not just me making up stuff, which I do upon occasion. These are the words of God telling us what to do. And the people said, wow. I, I think that's pretty cool, you know? I mean, there's a bunch of farmers and fishermen from the villages, and, you know, they're outside Jerusalem. You know, they're, they're not the pure Jews, Jewish um, tribe. And Jesus comes to them, and he says, this is what it takes to be part of my family. This is what it takes to be close to God. And the people say, yeah, yeah, because these people are now understanding this. It's like... Well, it's it's like a lot of things that I'm not going to... We'll move on. And so I'm going to... And so to start to wrap this up, there's a a section of Micah chapter 6 which really gets at the same point. Micah is one of the prophets towards the end of the Old Testament getting frustrated with the people of Israel. And he says these things. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? So I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? So I offer my firstborn for my sins, for the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The sidebar on humility, it's not that you let everybody walk over you. It's that you don't think higher of yourself than you need to be. That you are firm when you need to be firm, but you're not arrogant. You're not putting on airs to impress other people because God doesn't care about impressing other people. To walk humbly with our God Because God is a lot smarter than I am and a lot wiser. God is the one I want to emulate. So now how do we do this? How do we act justly? How do we love mercy? How do we walk humbly with God? And here's the homework. You got to do three things. You got to read, you got to think, and you need to pray. I'll ask you to take 10 minutes a day I've broken up the the Sermon on the Mount with its preliminary section into five different readings. It'll take you about six minutes to read it. And spend a couple minutes thinking about it and just, you know, a couple minutes praying to God about it. And the prayer needs to be, God, help me do these things. 
help me to be more like you. So on the handout in the bulletin, on the back side, is your homework. I really encourage you, especially if having daily devotions is a challenge from a scheduling standpoint, give this a try. Ten minutes. A little bit of reading, a little bit of thinking, and a little bit of praying. And when I went through these, it's like, wow. Well, I've heard of the Sermon on the Mount since I was a kid. Until last two weeks ago, I hadn't read the whole thing. I've known of the Beatitudes, you know, and the sermon, you know, it's piecemeal. Oh, yeah, about hey, love your enemy and pray for your enemy. When you read this through, you're, you're getting four chapters of, of Jesus talking to me, saying, this is how I want you to behave. And, I th- and for me, that's profound, to put it in perspective. And the, this, the first couple of verses will put that in perspective. This is the beginning of his ministry, uh, John, he just finished with John the Baptist, maybe in the last, being baptized maybe in the last several months. Now he's beginning, he's walking around, talking to everybody, and now he's got a crowd, maybe several hundred people, Bible doesn't say, they all sit down. Lessons with Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed are you if you do these things. Blessed are you if you do these other things. Don't hate people but pray for them. Okay, so I ask you, read these. Then two questions. What behavior or attitude is Jesus teaching? And every section here is going to have maybe three or four paragraphs that have slightly different themes. Just pick one. Pick one verse. Don't do everything. Pick one idea. What is what What is Jesus teaching me? And how do I do this? And you say, God, pray. God, Help me to do this. Help me to be more like you. And when we do this, God sees it. God knows and wants us to be being more like him. God wants us to do the things that Jesus does. He doesn't want us to be, to be bragging, to seek prestige because I'm so cool. And that builds up rewards in heaven. We don't need to worry about our pensions, our 401ks. Those are things to work on, not to neglect them, of course. And the spiritual peace or the financial peace class coming up is an excellent way to improve that so you don't worry about it, but you plan for it. The point is, in our hearts, what's the most important? is that I belong to God. And my goal in life is to enjoy God. And when we do these things, it brings us along that path of being confident that I belong to my Lord and Savior. And I can enjoy being with God. So, let's think about this. Do some more reading so that follow-up, that that repetition in this case is really helpful because it brings us back to the main point over and over again, and that's good. Please pray with me, God. God, as we read the Bible, and the Sermon on the Mount speaks to many aspects of our lives, 
the attitudes that we have, how we think, how we pray, things to do, things to not do, but they all speak to the same thing. Be humble before you to pay attention to what you want us to do and to do them. Help us to understand when rules are beneficial and when they get in the way. Help us to be thoughtful when we come to worship, when we sing a song, when we have a prayer time. Help us to be thoughtful, God, so it's not just a ritual, but it brings us closer to you. It's a reminder of your love for us and our thankfulness to you for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.